Welcome to the Well-Balanced 360 Podcast, where we dive into the latest and best tips on medicine and spirituality to help you master your health and overcome your fears so that you can feel your absolute best. I'm your host, Dr. Shivani, a licensed medical doctor, a yoga nerd, and a wellness enthusiast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here. Now let's dive in. On this episode, I'm joined by Tina Katt, a plant medicine facilitator, psychedelic integration coach, and certified death doula. We talk on all things ayahuasca and other plant medicines. Thank you for joining me today, Kat. It's so wonderful to have you. This is a topic I love talking about, plants, herbs, all of it. And so before we get started, I wanted my listeners to know your background and how you got started with what you're doing. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Super excited to have this conversation with you. My background, I mean, it's just pretty typical. I was about 16 years ago in a really tough place, needing some healing from bulimia and functional alcoholism and things like that. And I found my way to the jungle and drank ayahuasca for the first time and fell in love. I found in that experience, not only the medicine that was going to help me heal, and I'm still healing because I'm human, but also my path it ignited this desire to see if a white girl from Montana could become a shaman, if that was a thing. And 16 years later, not only do I get to help facilitate medicine ceremonies with medicines like ayahuasca, I'm also a psychedelic integration coach. I help people make sense of what happens in these very mystical, magical spaces. Wow, that's incredible. And you've ran so many ceremonies. You're like the plant wizard. <laughs> if there is such a thing. I mean, the more I do it, the more I realize how much I don't know, which is the truth about as we become more conscious. But I think it's the best gig in the world. I feel really blessed. Yeah. Well, I wanted to touch on all these plants. Like the one that I wanted to start with actually is ayahuasca. I mean, the past couple of years, it's been kind of like a wellness trend and there's shamans popping up everywhere and serving this tea. So what is ayahuasca, right? For someone who has no idea, how does it work in the body? What does it do? Because I know people go to those ceremonies, particularly to help symptoms of depression and anxiety and trauma. Yeah. So very simply, ayahuasca is a tea made from a couple of plants from the jungle, ayahuasca vine and chakruna normally. Chakruna has something called DMT, which has all kinds of mystical qualities. It's thought to be already in our systems and our pineal gland. And what it does when you consume it is the best way I can describe it is it makes you super conscious. You become incredibly aware, almost like a 30,000 foot view in an airplane does when we look at the earth below. We get to do that for ourselves. We get to start to realize like dysfunctional patterns and different behaviors that we're doing that are hurting us. We get a different view of it. It's an opportunity to see ourselves in a whole different way. And yes, it's incredibly psychotropic. It's one of the most potent psychedelics that nature has to offer. So it can be very challenging to work with. It's often a medicine that creates purging. So that can be vomiting, crying, sweating, laughing, all mm -hmm. kinds of ways that the medicine moves energy, which is how she helps to relieve these blockages that we carry from emotional trauma, physical disease, things like that. So it's pretty magical. And you as a doctor could probably describe the, the chemical components better than I, but it's also a medicine that helps to balance neurotransmitters that are out of whack and to give us a more physical state of wellness in addition to emotional and spiritual benefits. 
And do you believe ayahuasca is for everyone? Because I know a lot of people are intrigued by it or interested in trying it, but should everyone be taking it? No. <laughs> Having done this for 16 years, I'm shocked the degree to which she's become popular because it's really difficult at times to work with this medicine. So people that are just looking for fun times on drugs, nope, it's not that. You gotta have a calling, basically. We talk about that, but it's really important just to feel like not only does the medicine have what maybe you're looking for, but also that you feel really called to work with this crazy plant brew from the Amazonian jungle that could turn your world upside down. So no, it's not for everyone, but I sure wish all the politicians of the world would take it because <laughs> <laughs> we'd be living in a better world. I'll be honest, I've sat with ayahuasca myself a few times and she's not an easy plant to work with. So it's a whole nother topic for another podcast, <laughs> not a whole experience. But if someone's interested in sitting with the tea, where do they go to even find someone that they respect and trust? Because it can be a very difficult experience. Yeah, as you were saying, shamans, and we'll put air quotes around that, are popping up all over the place. And really what you want to do is make sure whoever you're working with has trained very much like an internship to become a doctor. It's called apprenticing in the plant medicine world that we train and when I accepted an apprenticeship, it was no less than seven years minimum. Again, like becoming a physical doctor, mm. like there's a lot of work. It's esoteric work, but you want to make sure that the person that you're trusting your spiritual, physical, and emotional safety with has trained for a long time, has sat many, many times, knows how to handle all the potential reactions that can happen from working with this medicine. So there are lineages that have been guarding and practicing this medicine for thousands of years. So if somebody has trained with that, that's trustworthy. You just don't want the person who's serving in some yoga studio who's like, yeah, I drank it five times. I got this because that's like watching Grey's Anatomy and saying, I can do surgery. I got this. <laughs> no, no, no. That's really scary. <laughs> I can't even imagine. You bring up a great point. It's so important. And even the integration afterwards, which I don't think people realize, right? It's a whole process. You have to, as you said, feel called to it. And then there's a process before even sitting with the tea and even after. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I feel like people don't understand that it requires a lot of mental work before even going in. Yeah, it requires preparation. Meditation is one of the greatest things we can do to prepare to get better at just being with our emotions being with our crazy minds instead of trying to take something to fix it. This isn't that. It's a deeper experience of who we are as conscious beings. So anything we do in preparation that helps us just to be instead of go, 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 and being in our minds is helpful. There's a diet to prepare so that the body is ready, cutting out a lot of the toxicity that we often consume. You know, in the Western world, we don't know a lot about coming to a place with humility and to treat things as sacred. And the more that we give that kind of energy to this ritual, the more we're going to get in return. So all the preparation that we do, for those that don't understand plant consciousness, I know this is hard to believe, but the plant knows if you really worked hard to show up as prepared, as reverent, as clean as you can, you will be rewarded. And it really helps to know that going in. Yeah. And like I said, I've sat with ayahuasca before. And when you say <laughs> she knows, oh, she definitely knows. 
once you're in that realm, there's no trying to control anything. I actually heard a podcast that you did a few years ago, and you had mentioned people actually do have a lot of fear around ayahuasca. And the first thing that comes to mind is fear of shadow, right? Like, what are we going to find there in the deeps of conscious mind that she may bring up? But in reality, you were saying on this podcast, people are actually afraid. It's quite the opposite to hold that container of love, which I found very interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, that's the big aha that a lot of us encounter. There's a beautiful Marianne Williams quote, and I'm going to kind of butcher it. But what she basically says is it's not our smallness and our fear that we resist. It's our greatness. It's the experience of how powerful we are as beings that are vibrating in love. And that's what we resist because it's, first of all, the most intense, powerful force in the world is love. And second of all, for most of us, our default vibration is fear. So when we experience a massive amount of love, it's new, it's scary because it's like, what is this? And it takes, for me anyway, it's been taking me years to get used to sitting in that intensity and recognizing that that's who I really am. Because fear and darkness, we get very identified with it. And it becomes like a friend. So when this light of love comes in, we resist it like crazy because it feels destructive. Isn't it ironic? It is. That's why when I heard you say that, I was like, whoa, I never thought of it that way. But that's true. And another thing people are afraid of when considering ayahuasca is you read a lot about these stories. I don't know whether they're true or not, but can ayahuasca kill somebody? Well, sure. I mean, the experience of ayahuasca can kill somebody. Of course, if it has the power to heal things like PTSD and cancer, et cetera, it can go in the opposite direction. But I want to emphasize that it's not really the medicine that kills people. It's people. It's being in the wrong hands. It's say somebody who's on SSRIs goes to drink ayahuasca and the practitioner doesn't know. It can be deadly, but can cause something called serotonin syndrome. Now we can prevent that by asking the right questions and knowing what people are working with. So It's always, to me, the onus is on the individuals who are putting on the ceremony to make sure that they know what everybody's working with, because this is a powerful experience. If you've heard stories of people dying in ceremonies, typically it's because they've added other plants to the brew, because ayahuasca herself isn't deadly. I mean, I've taken a lot of it. I'm still here. (laughs) But there are factors if you have a history of heart issues or epilepsy and things like that, or if you're on SSRIs, it can be deadly in that combination. But it's up to us as the individuals to make sure we're doing our homework and that we're doing it safely. That's why it's so important to have a safe container and really know who your, I'm not going to say shaman, but whoever your facilitator in that situation is. You bring up another point about other plants that can be mixed in with ayahuasca. I know San Pedro can't, but that's another one that people in the wellness world are now using, as well as mushrooms, LSD, iboga. And there's other plants too, which I'll touch on, but within these, how does someone know which plant to sit with, right? Since all of these are now popping up and what's the difference between all of them? Well, they all have different superpowers is the language I like to use for it. So it's really helpful if someone is new to this process to first of all, know why are they called? What is it that they want to get out of working with plant medicine? It could be physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual connection. To first identify what is it that I want to experience here, and then to do some research around all of the plants and their superpowers. Like ayahuasca, iboga, 
Bachuma, they have entirely different ways of working with people. For example, Iboga is the plant for people who are in active addiction. It can help to cut opiate addiction and alcohol. It can reset your neurochemistry back to a pre-addicted state. Amazing. Ayahuasca can't do that. What she can do is help to understand why you were addicted to begin with. So it's just to do some homework. And then I mentioned earlier the calling. If a plant is coming up in your waking hours or your dream state and you keep feeling pulled, there's a reason for that. I hold that that's like the invitation the plant is giving. And that's the most important piece. But this is not one size fits all for these plant medicines. And they should be used with a lot of sacredness, a lot of respect, and definitely not all at once or back to back to back. Think of this like a relationship and you wouldn't enter into a relationship and then have a bunch on the side if you really want it to be deep and profound and healing. So treat these plants the same way and you'll get so much more in return. And how often can someone sit with ayahuasca in particular? Well, there's no frequency limit really, but you mentioned a bit ago the importance of the integration. So That's the piece that I'd love to emphasize is when you go to have one of these experiences, make sure you've got lots of time to integrate it. It might take days, it might take months, and it might take years. It depends on how strong and potent and how much shifts in your awareness and your body. So that is just as sacred and important as the ceremony itself. That's why this back-to-back-to-back stuff is kind of dangerous, because if you're not integrating what's happening you're just going to repeat the same experiences. And ayahuasca calls that doing your homework on the teacher's desk. (laughs) Don't do it. Take your time to do the homework of integrating and making sense of it before diving into the next experience. Because you can have so many profound changes over like a year, two years. So it's not necessarily, I'm going to go sip with this tea once a month, (laughs) right? Like that's usually not the case. And I want to just emphasize that as well. You've worked with a lot of plants. You have so much knowledge. And I know that you do something called plant dietas as well. Can you elaborate or tell us about that? Yeah, it's actually my favorite. Master plant diets or plant dietas. It's an old practice from the jungle tribes of really the language I use for it is it's taking the time to marry a plant consciousness. And it requires a lot of restrictions in diet and how we're interacting with the world. But the idea is to really focus on merging with a plant spirit so that you can download its superpowers. If you can work with a plant, like you can diet ayahuasca, although that's an intense diet, but typically we work with plants like lavender or rose to really download the vibration that they hold so that we can change and transform as individuals. It's really amazing and healing It's the most magical experiences I've had in terms of the transformation that I've experienced. And we often do the diets in conjunction with ceremonies, with Mm. medicines like ayahuasca. They become partners in deepening the relationship with that plant. But for a period of time, it's like it's just your full-time job if you're in an isolated diet or a social diet is doing it out in the world. But it's all about merging with this plant for that period so that you can get the benefits that those plants hold. So if I'm dieting rose, what does that diet look like? Is there a time frame or can I continue it all year in conjunction with maybe sitting with ayahuasca? If you're hardcore, you can diet a year. I have done that. That's a pretty hardcore experience, but it depends. I mentioned the two types. There's the isolated experience, which is like if you went on a retreat, Mm -hmm. say you go to the jungle, that would likely be seven to 14 days. 
because it's your full-time job. You're unplugged from the world. All you're doing is drinking the tea of the medicine, working in ceremony and in this really spiritual expanded container. If you do it in the social way, which is the same idea, but out in the world, living our lives, that takes longer for the connection of the plant. I recommend a month. Some people do it as less as two weeks. That's the minimum. But like you said, you could do it for a year if you want, if you're really hardcore about wanting to connect with that plant or if you need deep healing. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, how ayahuasca is not for everyone. You have to feel a calling for it. But if someone wants to have such profound, deep inner work and is just too scared to ever try ayahuasca, what else can they do in terms of helping to expand their consciousness and feel at peace and feel the love and do all the inner work? Yeah, great question. So the most powerful thing that I know of that alters consciousness in this way that has nothing to do with psychedelics is breath work. Going really deep into the practice of working with the breath. I mean, I've had experiences in breath work that rival experiences I've had with ayahuasca. And all it is, is using the power of the breath. So that's what I recommend to people who are like, no, 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 it's just too scary to dive into a rabbit hole of plant medicine, which I get. Then start with breath work. And it may be all you need because that moves energy and expands consciousness and does all kinds of things. And out of all the ceremonies that you've helped facilitate as well as participate in, what would you say is your biggest lesson from all of these ceremonies? That we're not broken, that the things we're seeking to fix are actually very sacred, like rites of passage that we're here to go through. I was diagnosed bipolar and I thought that that meant my brain was broken. Like, no, it was just a reflection of trauma and energy. And it was what I came here to experience. And so the more I do this work, the more I realize that our invitation is just to celebrate all the complexities of our lives and to stop feeling like we're doing something wrong or that something is wrong with us. Yes, we can heal, but to have this idea that we're just broken humans is really painful. And the idea of enlightenment to me, the more I do this, it's just really about being present and saying yes to the life that we're experiencing. It's not about avoiding fear or anger or hatred. It's about letting these experiences be a part of who we are as humans. So to stop trying to fix things and instead understand and welcome the experiences we're having. I love that. What do you love the most about what you do? watching people get that illumination that I just mentioned, watching people come from a place of sometimes being outright suicidal to having the light in their eyes again and being like, oh my God, I'm worthy of love. I'm perfect as I am. There's nothing wrong with me. I can love myself as I am right now. It is the most rewarding thing because I feel like if more of us came from that place of self-love, the world we'd be living in would be entirely different. We'd be so good to each other. We want to uplift each other instead of fight and argue and have wars and violence. So that's the most rewarding piece. And I know that that light that they encounter is contagious, that they're going to go back into the world with their friends and family and pass that along. And the domino effect is happening. That's beautiful. Would you say there's a connection between medicine and spirituality? I would say there's a connection between everything and spirituality. <laughs> I, that's the piece that you were asking me of what have I realized? It's all spiritual. We're having a spiritual journey every moment of our lives. And plant medicines help us to remember that. 
they give us this opportunity to experience that and go, oh my God, everything is sacred. My life is so sacred. So yes, most definitely it's spiritual. And is there anything else that I didn't touch on today that you'd like to share about plant medicine that our listeners would find beneficial? The only thing that's coming through is to emphasize these are conscious beings. The plant medicines, and this comes from a girl who couldn't keep a plant alive, a house plant alive before (laughs) I first drank ayahuasca. So it's not as if I had any predisposition to understanding that. It's what I've come to realize. They have intelligence. They have consciousness. They're alive just like we are in a different way. And to form a relationship with them is unbelievably rewarding, but to treat them as sentient beings. Where can people find you and more about your work? So my nickname is Afterlife Coach. I have a blog out there at afterlife.coach and I welcome people who just want to connect and ask questions and I'm honored to help point them in the right direction. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your time with me. I'm so grateful. I'm sure we'll stay connected. Yes, please. Thank you for having me, love. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Well Balanced 360 podcast. I'm truly grateful for all of you and excited to have you join me on this health and wellness journey. Please be sure to stay connected with me over at drshivaniamin.com or any of my social media platforms. If you found this episode to be helpful, I would truly appreciate it if you would also hit that subscribe button and make sure to tell all your friends so you don't miss any future episodes. I'll catch you next week.